All right. 11 years ago, I did a series in this church uh, called um, Stuff Management, and it was a, steer- it was a series on stewardship, and, and uh, it was 2001, and we, we, um, it, it, wasn't, it was really the first time that I had done a whole series on giving, all right? And, but it wasn't just a series on money, it was a series on stewarding your life. And I want to tell you something, it was one of those moments that even though I was the one preaching it, it left a major impact on me. And I love, I love when I preach a series and I end up preaching to myself, which, I mean, honestly, it happens quite often, okay? And um, here, here, here was my big takeaway from that series. Nothing belongs to me, all right? It all comes from God. I'm simply a manager of his stuff. And if you were here, you probably remember that, all right? And, and it came from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, where King David is praying over the dedication of the building of the temple. Solomon, his son, was standing there. He was going to be the one that was getting ready to actually be the builder of the temple. But, but what David talked about as he was dedicating the, the temple radically changed how I looked at everything. It, it, it changed how I looked at my money, my house, my cars, my influence, my time, everything. Everything, if you remember, we talked about everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, everything's distributed by God. Now, let me tell you something that I, that I know to be a fact, even in my own life. Living that truth out is very difficult because we are born with this mindset. It's just, it's just in us. All right? We're born with this, with this mindset that, that everything is mine. Matter of fact, and I, I tried to find this picture so you could see it. I couldn't find it. My mom has this picture of when I was about probably 12 months old. And uh, this this baby, and I'm sitting on the ground, and there is this little girl who's the same age as me sitting next to me. Our moms were friends. And she is crying. All right? She's crying, and she has her arms out like this. Now, why was she doing that? Because I'm sitting next to her. And I'm holding a toy like this, and I'm going like this, all right? She's reaching out, tears, she's crying. I've got the toy, and I'm, I'm just like mine. Now, if I were smart, and of course I wasn't at the moment there, but, but I, I would have been working the situation because she's a pretty little girl. I'd have been handing her the toy, but I, it wasn't, I, I was 12 months old, so I got to have some slack there. But it was weird because I've looked at that picture, and I just thought, where did that come from? How did I, at 12 months old, how did I get this, this thing inside of me that just was selfish, was just unwilling to share, where something was just mine? Let me tell you, it just, I was born with it. All of you were born with this thing that just says, mine, this is mine, this is mine. And so this morning, in that same vein of thinking, I, I want to do something that I like to do. I'm going to show you my hand to you. I like to do this almost every Sunday morning. I like to create tension in here. Okay, And not with what I'm saying, but I like to present God's word in a way that it creates a little tension for you. Okay, And so um, some of you are going to agree with all that I'm going to say, and some of you are going to struggle with some of what I'm going to say this morning, which is good. I, I hope that happens every Sunday. All right? um, it, let me say that right, here's what writer Warren Wearsby says. He's an author, and he has a commentary on Ecclesiastes, and he makes this comment. He says, we don't live our lives, okay, we, excuse me, we don't own our lives. We don't own our lives because life is a gift from God. Now, most people in the world would disagree with that, all right, but I'm, I'm going to say, we, we don't own our lives because life is a gift from God. And I'm going to back that up with Scripture in a moment. In other words, not only does everything we possess belong to God, but our very life not only comes from God, but it belongs to God. Now, let me give you some Scripture to back that up. Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul is talking in Athens, Greece, to a bunch of Greek philosophers. It's been a tough crowd. And, and he says this in chapter 17, verse 24. He said, 
The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now listen, for in him we live and we move and have our being, as even some of your own poets, he's talking to these Greek philosophers, saying, who have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Here's what Paul's saying. Life is a gift from God, all right? He created everything and everyone. He created life. He didn't just create us for his own just fun and pleasure. He didn't create us because he was bored and needed a hobby. He didn't create us to humor him, which we do anyways, I'm sure many times. But instead, he gifted us with life for a purpose. Our, our purpose is to advance his kingdom and to bring him glory, all right? According to the Apostle Paul, he strategically created you he placed you in a certain place you live here he put you in a certain time period right now 2012 in other words it's it's no accident all right that you live in this area it's no accident you're here this morning it's no accident where you work at the moment it's no accident for you students where you go to school okay and I want you to hear me clearly. There are, it's, there are no mistakes in this room. I don't care the circumstances by which you were born. God knew before the creation of time that you were going to be born. You are not an accident. All right? You were created with a, with a purpose in mind. God reached and created you. All right? He gave, breathed life into you from nothing. All right? And so then he actually says that we were placed here to seek after him. And to eventually find our way to him. We talked a few weeks ago about how God actually put eternity in our hearts. He created a void inside of us that can only be filled by God. And then he says something really awesome here. Apostle Paul, he says, we don't have to look very far to find God. And the reason is simple. Our very life is from him. Paul says, you are breathing today. Blood is pumping through your veins and you're alive because life is a gift from God. Now, I want you to to listen to what Warren Wearsby also says, he, he says this, we don't own our lives because life is a gift from God. And then he says, we are stewards of our lives, and one day we must give an account to God of what we have done with his gift. God has gifted me with this, with this life. It, it's his life, okay? I'm just living it. I don't own it. And one day I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to give an account of how I have managed this life that was ultimately a gift from him. Now, I want to ask you a couple questions, okay? How often do you actually wake up in the morning and, and thank God for the gift of life? How often do you wake up and just go, God, thank you for this. Thank, that, thank you that I'm breathing, that, that I get to experience another day. Or, or, or how often do you wake up and, and just automatically start complaining about your life? You complain about everything in your life. You complain about what God's given you, what he hasn't given you. You know, all, all this and that. I mean, how often do we actually wake up and say, Lord, life is a gift and I want to thank you for this. Now, let me ask you another question. All right. How, 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 many, time, how many of us really live our lives as if we truly believe that everything that we have, including this life, is actually his. And that we're just managers, we're just stewards of his gift. In other words, we look at our money and we go, not mine, it's God's money. 
all right? Just on loan to us. This house, not mine, all right? This car that I'm driving, it's not mine. These kids, although, and we're, we're happy with this a lot of times, not mine, okay? Thank you, God. So, yeah. But these kids that God's gifted me with, they're, they're truly, they're not mine. I'm thankful that, that God uh, allowed me to meet Amy and we got married and God used us to produce two great boys, but, but they're not my kids, all right? They're God's kids, all right? This body, all right? Very controversial. It's not mine, all right? All right? It, it belongs to God. Therefore, I need to take care of it because it's God's temple that he lives in, okay? It's all a gift. My life is not mine, but it's also a gift. I have been called to be a manager of all of these gifts. And one day the Bible says, I'm going to stand before God and give an account of how I have used them to advance his kingdom and to bring glory to him. Corey Tenboom, who was a, a Christian Holocaust survivor, many of you have read some of her stuff, powerful woman. She said, the measure of life, after all, is not its duration, but its donation. Now, many of us actually believe that, but how many of us actually live our lives as if we believe that? Now, again, about 11 years ago, God spoke all of this into my life very loudly, and it radically changed. Not how, I, not, not how only I look at life and all the things in it, but it radically changed the way that I lived my life. And my prayer for all of you this morning is that God will speak loudly into your life right now. My prayer is that well, God will grab your attention and he will wake you up to the reality that this life that you have been given is not about you. And we have a statement, we've used this little catchphrase around here for years and years, it's not about you, it's not about me, and it's just not, it's not about you. It's not about, and it's not about floating aimlessly through this life with no direction or guidance. It's also not about chasing the, th- the things that we've talked about over the last several weeks, chasing things like power, pleasure, possessions, the, you know, the things that, we're gonna, that, we de- that we've defined as the here and now, the things that Solomon said are under the sun, Things that, that ultimately, you know, so many people spend their lives chasing, but ultimately do not bring you joy and satisfaction that you're looking for. Your life and everything in your life has, it, it has been given to you as a gift from God. We've just been called to manage it. And again, one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of how we manage our lives and everything that God has blessed us with. Now, if you've been here over the last three weeks, then, then, then you'll hopefully remember that Solomon, King Solomon, was, was the poster boy of the guy who used his life to try to find purpose and happiness and joy by, by perf- pursuing everything under the sun, in the here and now, in this one lifetime. He had all the pleasures the world could ever offer. He was more powerful than, than, than any other person on the face of the earth. He was wealthier and wiser than any man before his time. You know, and yet, according to him, all of life was a vanity. Was vanity. He called it meaningless. Because everything was all about him. And he said, when you live your life when it's all about you, and he said, you're going to find out it's meaningless. Everything he had accomplished was purposeless, and it led him to feeling empty inside. Matter of fact, he ended up calling it a chasing after the wind. It was like a person trying to grab something that, that you couldn't truly get your hands around. And there, if you remember, a few weeks ago, I was up here blowing bubbles, big bubbles, trying to catch them. You know, I mean, bubbles are nice to look at, and if you, every once in a while, one will land on your hand, but you can't grab hold of it. You can't keep it. It's what it's going to pop, and it just leaves you feeling empty inside. And that's how Solomon describes how he felt over the the course of his lifetime, and that's how he talks about how he felt throughout this book. Well, by the end of Ecclesiastes, Solomon gives us some parting wisdom. He gives us 
his conclusion on the whole matter of chasing after the wind. And in chapter 12, the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes, in verse 13, here's what Solomon says. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Now, Solomon spends an entire book, 12 chapters, explaining how he wasted so many years of his life just with his priorities completely out of whack and with his life out of focus, trying to pursue happiness and lasting joy in the here and now. He called it things under the sun. And then in just two verses, he gives us his conclusion to the journey. And here's what he came to. Here's what he realized. He said, everything I did to find meaning and purpose outside of God and his purpose for my life was vanity. It was like chasing after the wind. He says, we were meant to live for so much more than pursuing power and pursuing pleasure and pursuing possessions. He said, life is truly a gift from God, and and it's meant to be lived with eternity in mind, not in the here and now. Our lives were meant to count for something with eternal value while we're living them out here on this earth. So, in closing, in his closing words, he gives us three words of advice. Solomon tells us how we can make sure that our life truly counts while while we're here on this earth. All right, and here's what he says. How, How do we do this? He says, first of all, we need to fear God. Now, many of you know, I, I talk, I've talked about this a lot. I, I, I grew up in a, in a, in an unhealth, with an unhealthy fear of God. I thought, he was, I thought God was always upset with me. I could never please him no matter what I did. I thought he was looking to punish me. I mean, just like it was like God was always looking over my shoulder waiting to watch me do something wrong so he could whack me upside the head. Listen, I think it is truly, it is so important that you understand what it really means to fear God, to have a healthy understanding of what it means to fear God, because when you get it, it will change not only the way you view God, but the way you live your life, the way you speak, and the way you treat others. And I want to give you a definition of of what it means to fear God, all right? The fear of God is an awesome respect or reverence for his greatness and power. To fear God is an awesome, all right, it's an awesome respect or reverence for his greatness and power. Now, this is huge because when you live with your, your life with awesome respect or reverence for God's greatness and power, it will cause you, when you mess up or whatever, it will cause you to want to run to him instead of wanting to run from him. You, you get that? That's really important, okay? It, it will cause you to trust God with your life, to trust God with your stuff because you realize what he's capable of. It will, it, will, it, it will take your view of God from small to way beyond what your mind could ever imagine. When we struggle with the issue of who does my life really belong to, whose stuff does this really belong to, it's usually because we have a small view of God. And when our view of God is small, it tends to make us selfish. It tends to make us prideful. It tends to, to create this thing inside of us where we believe that no one has a right to make us or to tell us how to live our lives. When our, when our view of God is small, when we truly don't understand what it means to fear God. However, when you have a healthy fear of God, this deep, awesome respect and reverence for his greatness and power, then you can rest knowing that your life belongs to God. Your finances are in his hands. Your stuff belongs to him. Your kids and their future are in his hands. Your, your, everything, all, all of it belongs to God. And I know that some of you are at a crossroads right now with a decision, something huge. You're trying to figure something out. It's a job-related. It's finance-related. I mean, I, I have a, a son who's a senior this year in high school. He's my oldest son, and, 
we're trying to figure out college right now. He's, he's being recruited by some schools for baseball, which is a lot of fun, but it's also, it's stressful. And, and so we're trying to figure out where, you know, where is he going to spend his next four years and what's that going to look like? And so, you know, but, but we know that God has it all under control. There's, he, he's so great and he's so powerful. We can't see it, but we know it's all in his hands. Now, I want you to listen to the wisdom of Solomon from another book that he wrote called Proverbs. He says this, chapter 1, verse 7. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. Fear of the Lord is the foundation. You want to know what you, how to make decisions? True it's, it's the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Solomon says, the person who fears the Lord lives a life that is much different than a person who has no fear of God. Solomon says, in order for a person to be wise and to have knowledge about life, to make wise decisions, to be able to spend their time on earth living for things that matter and to have a big view of God and to understand what he's truly capable of, that person needs to have a healthy fear of God. Solomon also says that a person who does not fear God is a person that doesn't care about godly advice. They don't care about godly instruction. They actually despise it. It's a person who is going to live however they want. They're going to look at life however they want. They're going, to, they're, they're going to live their life with a total disregard for God. And Solomon says, you're a fool. That person that lives their life like that is a fool. Now, let me create a little tension. Would you say right now that you are a wise person or you're a foolish person based upon what Solomon has just told us here? Now, if you're not sure, let me ask you a couple questions. Do you really believe that God created everything with, with a simple command and that all creation belongs to him? Do you believe that or not? Scripture says that's what happened. Do you, believe, do, do you truly believe that God has power over life and death, including your life right now? Okay? I mean, we see a God in the Old Testament who, you know, a nation ticked him off, boom, gone. I mean, that, that's how powerful this God is. That's how, I mean, that's how mighty he is. Now, let, me, let me ask you this. Do you truly believe that God is capable of anything and that nothing is too hard for him? See, when we fear God, we hold a deep, awesome respect or reverence for his greatness and power. We believe that there is nothing that he can't do. And some of you right now in this room, you're stricken with fear. You're, you've got a relational issue, you are, you're stricken with fear. You've got a decision in front of you, you're stricken with fear. You live your life in fear. Afraid of what other people think. Afraid of making a wrong decision. You're, you're, you've got you know, a, a job situation. You're, you're, just, you're stricken with fear. And so you're just, it's like you're paralyzed with fear. I want to read something that uh, one of my favorite writers, Oswald Chambers, says. He says this, and I'm, listen to this. He said, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Oh, listen, I, we could just stop right there. I mean, we could bring the band out and just worship. Come on. And we need to be praying right now, Lord, help me to have a help, help develop inside of me a healthy fear of you, a deep respect and a reverence for your greatness and power. Help me to realize that it's all yours. My life is in your hands. My life is a gift. It belongs to you. And nothing's beyond your strength and power. The second thing that Solomon says to us about making sure our life counts is that, is that we keep his commandments. We keep God's commandments. Now, if you grew up in church, when you think of, of commandment, you immediately think of the Big Ten. If you didn't grow up in church, you're thinking football right now. That's not what we're, what's going on here. 
you're talking about the Ten Commandments, the, the, the thou shall nots. Thou shall not have any other gods before me. Thou shall not have any graven images. Thou shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And, or you, you may be thinking, you know, if you've been in church a long time, you might be thinking about the law. The Old Testament, the Jews had 613 different laws that they had to follow. And the rabbis and priests were responsible for making sure the people held to those laws, and they were responsible for the sacrifices, you know, to try to fulfill the laws, which, I mean, there had to be death to be able to fulfill those things and, and to pay for the sins of the Jews. And, and today, I've got to tell you, there are still Jews who are trying to hold on to six, those 613 laws. And I want to tell you something. It was impossible then, and it's impossible today. And churches and denominations, what they like to do is they like to cherry-pick from those Old Testament laws to hold things over people's heads to put bondage on them. Well, listen, if we're going to live the 613 Old Testament laws, we better start sacrificing some animals real quick around here. All right, there better, there better be some blood starting to, to, to be shed around this place to, to fulfill all of that. But when Jesus came, he didn't, listen, he didn't abolish Old Testament law. He fulfilled it. He perfectly lived it out. And then he died. And since he fulfilled it today as believers, we're no longer bound to it. Now, so, but listen, so when, when Solomon charges us to keep God's commandments, what does that mean for us today? Well, According to Galatians 6, 2, we are, we are under what's called the law of Christ. We live under a new covenant. We live, we live in a time when a sacrifice has already been made for sin. So when we sin, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, if we're his children, when we come to the Lord with a heart of repentance because of the death of Christ and what he's accomplished for us, we, ought, we can confess our sin and he forgives us. We live in a time of grace. Now, there are commands that are given to us in the Gospels through Jesus, by Jesus. There are also commands given to us in the, apostle, or in, in the other books of the Bible by the Apostles throughout the New Testament. Now, scholars like to argue how many of the, the, you know, the Ten Commandments actually roll over into the, into the New Testament. And some say nine out of ten, the Sabbath really wasn't part of that. Some say all ten out of ten. I'm not arguing about that right now. Here's what Jesus says. If you love me, you'll do what? obey my commandments now again it doesn't matter if it's old testament new testament for for many people when you hear commandment what do you think you think bondage you think slavery you think rules you think legalism listen romans 8 chapter 15 says that we are called not slaves we're called sons and daughters of what god now i have two sons I, I i don't know about you but i want the best for my two sons I, I, as a dad i want to do everything i can to provide just the very best they they may not always see it that way, you know, but I want the best for them, and especially when it comes to rules, all right? When I make rules for them, even though they may not like them, I do it out of a heart of love for them. I do, I, I create rules, Amy and I create things in our lives because, or in their lives, because we want the very best for them. I want to protect them from things that I know would harm them. So, like you, I have boundaries. I have rules in my home that I've set up out of love. Amy and I have agreed together to set up out of love for our boys. God's the very same way with his children. And the Bible tells us that God is a good God. He's a loving father who gives us, who gives good gifts to his children. So whether he's blessing us or he's setting up boundaries for us, it's out of a heart for, of, of, of love for his children. Now, I gotta tell you, I didn't grow up with a ton of rules in my home. Uh, I think my brother Kevin and I were pretty easy to raise. We just weren't big rule breakers. And so my parents just didn't have a ton of rules. But, but, but we did have, grew up in churches where there were a lot of rules. 
But my dad was just, he was tremendous at just giving me a lot of great instruction. And he knew that, uh, uh, he actually apologized to me for years ago for n- not teaching me more mechanical things. And, um, but one, and I remember one of the things he told me um, when I got my first car. He said, listen, son, he said, if this car ever overheats, if you see smoke coming out from under the hood, don't ever, ever take off the radiator cap. Because if you do, bad things are going to happen, Okay. Things are going to shoot out. I mean, and I remember him telling me this. So um, my, my, the car that I drove through most of my college experience was a 1976 Ford Granada. It was a beater. I mean, it was, it, it was, it was a bad car. I actually bought it in southern South Florida, so it rusted from the top down. Kind of added character to the vinyl roof, all right? And, but it, this thing eventually started leaking antifreeze like crazy. And I remember one particular day, uh, I'm in Virginia going to school, and I was dating this girl, and we were out somewhere, and, and we came to, I started noticing smoke coming out from under the hood, and we get to this stoplight, and all of a sudden the car, you just start smelling the antifreeze. The car, that's how I felt. The car just died, <laughs> all right? And the car just dies. And so I get out of the car, pop the hood, open it up, and guess what I do? not thinking about my dad, I, I take off the, the radiator cap, and that thing, that thing flies off, hits me in the head, because I'm leaning, hits me in the head, knocks me back, on the, I'm in the middle of an intersection of a busy road, laying on the ground, okay, now there was a blessing behind that, because what happened after that could have been much worse, I mean, antifreeze is just flying out, and fortunately, because I'm laying back in the ground, I'm not getting hit in the face or anything like that, I mean, it's getting on my pants and stuff, but I mean, it was like a fountain, Woo, you know. And so after I kind of came to, and I'm just sitting here thinking, I've been laying in the road for I don't know how long, and nobody's stopping to help me. And so I, I kind of pull myself up, you know, and I look between the little, the little crack between the hood and, and the car, and my girlfriend's just sitting there. She's just singing away to the radio, you know, the whole thing. And, you know, I, I think I should have dumped her right. I should have known. It, it, it was a bad moment for us. And, and <laughs> now, why did my dad tell me not to screw off the radio, unscrew the radiator cap? Because he didn't want to see me get burned. He didn't want to see me get hurt. It was for my own protection. He wanted nothing but the best for my life. But again, how, how oftentimes do we come to a command in the New Testament and we go, you know, I don't like that, or, or, or that's not for today? Or that one's too hard. Or God's just trying to make me miserable. Or he's trying to put me under bondage. Listen, if you're thinking like that, then it's clear that you have a messed up perspective on God. You don't really understand his character and his love for you. You really don't understand that his commands are given to us out of a heart of great love for us. And when we're obedient to him, not only do we avoid the consequences of sinful choices, but we end up experiencing true joy and the satisfaction that he wants because we're living the life that he designed for us to live. Now, I want to give you just two simple commands. I mean, we could just, there's a lot of commands in the New Testament. Let me just give you two simple commands that Jesus gave to us. And he actually was reiterating two commands that were from the the Old Testament carried over. And Jesus called them the greatest. Out of all, all the commands, which is the greatest? Here's what he says in Mark 12, 30. He says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it. Is this? He said, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." There are there is no other command greater than these. Now, the beautiful thing about those commands is that Jesus says in Matthew twenty two forty, He says that on these two commandments all 
the law and the prophets hang. Everything hangs on these two commandments. In other words, we can be confident that if we would truly, and I'm going to tell you, if we just got this down, oh, it would take care of everything. He said, if we can truly just love the Lord with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and all of our strength, and if we truly love people as ourselves, then we will be obedient to the rest of the commandments. If you love God with all your heart, guess what? It, it covers the first four of the new commandments, or the old, or the, of the Ten Commandments. If you, if, you, if you love other people as yourself, then you cover the other six of the Ten Commandments because they relate to people. They relate to loving others and how we treat people. When we love God and love people like Christ commands us to, then we're going to fall in line with God's purpose and his plan for our lives. So Solomon says at the end of the matter, if you want to make your life count, fear God and keep his commandments. But he also leaves us with one more bit of advice. He says, live for eternity. Solomon says, there will come a day when we will stand before God and we'll give an account of what we did with our lives. We'll be judged on how we have leveraged our time here on this earth. What what did we do with the life that God gave us? How did we manage the good things he blessed us with? And Solomon says, it's all going to be judged, good, good, bad, or ugly. Now, let me give you a strong word out of love. And I've said this over and over again, and I'm going to keep saying it for the rest of the time that I'm the pastor of of, of this church. Live your life for eternity. Live your life with eternal purposes in mind. We talked about this in week two of the series. Solomon says there are, there are some who, who live their lives under the sun. Everything is the here and now. Everything's about now. It's all about how much can I have now? How much pleasure? How much power? How much possessions? How much can I accumulate under the sun? And then he talked about living beyond the sun. He talked about living your life for eternity with eternal purposes in mind. Now, the book of Philippians is oftentimes called the, the Ecclesiastes of the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul addresses the same issue in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. And, and it goes into chapter 4, actually. And he sa- I want you to listen to what he says. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Talking about living for eternity, eternal purposes in mind. He says, but I press on to possess that per- per- perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed, uh, first possessed me. No, dear, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Now, Paul's talking about living his life with eternity in mind. He wanted to make sure that he had, as he was living, as he was reaching for heaven, that he had the big picture in mind. He knew that how he lived his life here on this earth was going was to impact his eternity, his eternal well-being in a huge way. Now, I want to show you an illustration. I was a youth pastor for, for a uh, student pastor for nine years, and most every student pastor at some point or another has used this illustration. So, I, but I want to show you this. I'm going to walk over here for a moment. Okay, so camera, if you could, just kind of follow me around. All right, thank you. My friend Seth back here, appreciate you. All right, this rope, I want this rope, if you could, if you, in your mind, to, to represent um, millions and millions and millions of years. And, and you have no idea how far this rope goes. I mean, as far as you know, it goes around the world. All right? It actually stops back there. But it, it, this, this rope represents millions and millions and millions of years. Okay? Now, this, this red part right here represents our life. Now, some of your red's going to be longer than others. Some of it's going to be a little shorter. But, but, but 
I want this red part to represent our lives here on this earth. Now, understand this. In the, in the grand scheme of things, I want you to see how long your life is. I want you to, I mean, we're talking eternity, all right? But think about how much we spend focusing on this. How much can I get in this? How much power and pleasure and, and, and possessions can I accumulate in this? This right here, we make decisions here because we, we're so consumed with this little piece right here. We're stressed out. We're overwhelmed with this little, we don't, we, we're not thinking about all this. Okay? Because we're so focused on this. And I've, over the year, I've had people who, over the years, people who have gone, you know what, Brian, you're just stupid for, I mean, you've made a decision here that's really, I mean, I don't even understand that decision because it doesn't make any sense here. And I, sometimes I want to look at some people and I go, you know what, you just made a stupid decision here because you're not thinking of all of this. You, you're, you don't understand that what you do here impacts this. We have got to live our lives. Not st- we got to stop thinking so much about this and to understand that, that this right here impacts all of this. It's going to determine, not only are we going to get to heaven, but it's going to determine how eternity, how, how we live in eternity, the rewards, the life that we live. I mean, I could go into a whole series on that. Stop being so, stop being so consumed with this. Because I, I want you to see in the grand scheme of things that it's not just about this. God's given you this for all of this. See, we see in, throughout the New Testament, we see this spoken. Jesus said this. He said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where, raw, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He said, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven okay where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal Louis Giglio the, 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 the creator of passion um, songs and network and the church downtown he says to the degree to which we believe in heaven is mirrored in the amount we are investing in the kingdom work of God life's a gift we need to use this one and only life that God's given us to bring glory to him by living for him we need to be advancing his kingdom by investing in the lives of other people by sharing the news of salvation with them we need to understand that everything that we have comes from God it is given to us by God so that so that we 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 understand that he owns it all listen he needs nothing from us but he entrusts us with some resources to bless others to take care of hurting people on this earth all for the purpose of bringing salvation to people and I want you to understand that God, because he loves us so much, he took this book called Ecclesiastes, the journal of one man's life, and he put it in, the, in, in, in his very own book, his words for us. He put it in there for a reason. It serves as a warning, a warning given us to us from the wealthiest, wisest man of his day. And he said, listen, don't fall into the same trap that I fell into by trying to find purpose and meaning in life, by focusing all of your energy and all of your resources on things under the sun. Because it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. Instead, look and live your life for things beyond the sun with eternity in mind. 